All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8. When you're there, say amen. All right, we'll give you some more time. I can stall if I need to. All right. Uh, tonight I, I want to, I've probably used a variation of this title a number of times, uh, but uh, I, I, I just want to, I want to have a look ahead. Um, as I was reading the word this week, and uh, you've, you've heard me say this before, I don't typically prepare um, I, don't, I don't typically pray or read specifically for something to preach. I just I try to, to have my ears open and my eyes open in my, in my own devotional and study time. And, and God just begins to, to deposit some things. And usually it's a little thread that i got to tug on a little bit and kind of follow it and see where it leads to. But uh, I, I do believe that God has a look ahead for us as a church tonight, and really more than just us as a church. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. Uh, let's preface... Tonight, by saying this, it is not wise to have a 24-7 diet of news, of social media, of talk radio. It is not wise for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to constantly hear the voice of our culture coming at you. That said, uh, I believe that there is, there is some level that is healthy, uh, maybe even necessary. But Ecclesiastes tells us, look, when you see this perversion of judgment and justice in a province, do not marvel at it. Why? For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be they higher than they, or there be higher than they. There's one that's higher than every king, every dictator, every president, every senator, every mayor, every governor. There's one that's higher that sees. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10 says this, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, I miss the good old days? Anybody ever uttered the phrase, I miss the good old days? When were the good old days? Because I don't remember them. There, there has been trouble on this earth. There will always be trouble on this earth. As, as the scriptures say, man is born to trouble as, as sure as the sparks fly upward. But 
the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes 7 says, look, if, if you're pining after the good old days, you're not inquiring wisely concerning this. The 1950s, I, maybe the 1900s were the good old days. Uh, maybe it was 1895. Uh, maybe it was while Calvin Coolidge was the president of the United States. By the way, he should be in the running for top three presidents, top five presidents of all time. Calvin Coolidge was the bomb.com. If you didn't know that, you need to look him up. Uh, but it would be foolish for us to sit here in 2023 and wish for the old days. We go on in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. It says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is set in them, or fully set in them, to do evil. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Look, it does not matter how much the wicked seems to be prospering on this earth. And if his days are prolonged and he's able to do hundreds of wicked acts, there's one truth that you have to settle down into your heart, and that is this. It shall be well with those that fear God, which reverence God, which hold to his commandments, which trust in the Lord. But it shall not be well, verse 13, with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God." At the end of human days, I do not want to be the one that thought that I could succeed in wickedness. Because humanity, our days, our lives uh, are just, as he calls them there, a shadow. It's, it's just a glimpse. It's just a moment. It's just something that you can't grab. As the writer in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says multiple times, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity the New Living Translation calls it meaningless. It is all meaningless. But even, even deeper, as you begin to study into the Hebrew of it, you, you find or you sense that it's, it's like a vapor or a smoke. It's, it, it looks like it's there, and it, it can look ornate at times, but as you try to grab it, it slips through your fingers. We must remember that our life here on this earth is only a vapor. It is only a moment. It is only a shadow. It's, it's just a glimpse and you can try to hold on to it with everything that you've got but just when it seems like you're grabbing a hold of it, it is going to slip through your fingers. So I want to take a look a little bit forward tonight of where our society seems to be headed. If you have listened to the news in any way, shape, or form uh, over the last few months, you've, you've been troubled perhaps by the tenor and the tone of things. There is such a spirit of division in our country. A spirit of division does not come to us from God. Uh, God is 
God is not going to author division. He's not going to author this, this conflict. There is a dividing of every way that you possibly can, trying to divide the rich from the poor, the, 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 the one race from another race, the Republican from the Democrat. But when you boil it down to it all, every one of us needs to remember that we are not the enemy of the person across the street. You're not the enemy of the person across the aisle. You're not the enemy of the person that might vote differently than you. You're not the enemy of the person that might think differently than you. In fact, uh, because you are a repository of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because you're the one that's filled with the baptism of the Holy ghost uh, they might dislike what they feel inside of you but you are in fact their hope uh, the love of Jesus flowing through you is the hope for this divided and dark world that we live in things that were done in secret are now heralded from positions of power things that 10 years ago would have been kept behind closed doors and not mentioned in public are now celebrated, not just tolerated. Tolerance is not what we're looking for. We're looking for acceptance and celebration. We're looking almost for a declaration that a certain way of life is better than a traditional way of life. Uh, and we're, we're watching a society have to come to grips with this, this new reality. Our neighbors to the north, uh, speaking of, of the church, there are pastors in our own organization who simply by reading and preaching verses from the word of God could find themselves in jail. In a quote-unquote democratic society, a, a country that all of us would probably think nothing about traveling to could find themselves in jail simply by preaching the word of God. States in our country are beginning to pass hate speech laws and it will not be long until it will not be long until it becomes the law of the land to begin to simply declare the unchanging truth of the word of God. The family structure is under attack. Has been under attack for decades. It has been breaking down for decades. In fact, one of the largest contributors to the state of our society today would be the breakdown of the family as God designed it. God uh, designed in his infinite wisdom uh, for one man and one woman to come together, to raise children together in a marriage that gives honor and glory to God. One man uh, with one woman, with a husband uh, having his head as Christ, fearfully leading the home and leading his family but it's been under attack and we're watching the breakdown of it we're watching a culture that is in so much pain and in so much confusion search for something to numb the pain search for something to numb the hurt inside of them i believe i don't have the statistics in front of me but i, I believe we were approaching 100,000 opioid deaths last year overdoses 100,000 in one 
calendar year. You think back to the horrific years of the Vietnam War where I believe it was 68,000 Americans were killed, but that was in a 10-year span. Every year this is going on on American streets. You can't tell me that there's not an immense amount of pain, an immense amount of searching, an immense amount of people who are desperate for something to bring meaning and to bring value to their lives. You drive, you can go on on the internet and you can find videos of American cities where there is there is human refuse everywhere. There's 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 stool on the streets, needles everywhere. You can see video as cars drive down the street. They look like zombies standing on American streets with drugs coursing through them. Their only hope of numbing the pain that they're going through is to find a substance and put it in their veins. The rich seem to be getting richer. The poor seem to be getting poorer. It's just a look ahead. Perhaps that feels immeasurably depressing. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat and I don't want to just gloss over the fact that we are a society that is in trouble. We are a country that is in trouble. Now I know we live in South Dakota. We are a blessed people. We are a blessed people. But do not think that just because we live out here in what feels like Brady Bunchville that we are going to be immune from it all. We are not. What is coming down from the federal level will affect us here in South Dakota. So what must the disciple of Jesus Christ do? Our world is changing. It is shifting. It is not wise for us to say, oh, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? You see, if, if we're always looking back to some supposed golden years of American history, then we've taken our eyes off the direction of the cloud and we're not following after Jesus and what he wants to do in these last days. So what must we do? I want to, we've, we've brushed on this a number of times, and so I, I want to, I just kind of want to deal with it tonight and uh, talk about how, how we are to behave. What if, what if reading certain Bible verses becomes outlawed tomorrow? What if our assembly is deemed unlawful? What if me standing here and even in, in, in love declaring the truth of God's word is deemed hate speech? What do we do? Paul and Peter give very similar advice on these topics. Uh, first and foremost, let, let's, let's deal with Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. We're going to switch to the New Living Translation now. And it says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities. I thought I'd get a loud amen there. <laughs> For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by 
God. Did you know that Nebuchadnezzar was put there and the Bible calls him the instrument of God? Do you know that Joe Biden was put there and he's an instrument of God? This is not a political sermon. That's not what we're going to do. But it says this, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those that are doing wrong. Look, Again, if, if you see a police officer and there's a panic that rises in you, barring some past trauma related to this, okay, uh, if, the, if there's a panic that rises anytime time an, a law enforcement officer comes around you, you might want to check what you're doing. If you're not doing anything illegal, you've got no reason to fear the authorities. He says this, Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Remember who he's writing this to. This is written specifically to the church in Rome. And at the time of this writing, the Roman emperor is not a good man. He's a wicked man. But human government was instituted by God. Authority was instituted by God. And he has given men the ability to rule over men. Now, wicked men will answer to God even for their human government. But we will also answer to God for our willingness or not willingness to come under authority in the realm of human government. And we must submit to it not only to avoid punishment, but to keep a clear conscience. You ready for this next verse? All right, you ready? Here we go. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. My Lord. Nobody's taking a lap. Is this the word of God? Okay. Just checking. So what if they take away a 501c3 status? What are we going to do? We're going to pay our taxes. That's where it's going. That's the road our country is heading down. Just a few, a decade or so ago, we had a, a president in the White House declare that America is no longer a Christian nation. Just a, a newsflash, America had ceased being a Christian nation long before he said that. It had already happened. But there was such an uprise, there was such a... <gasps> How dare he say that? But we've become so unmoored from scriptural principles as a society long before. All he was doing was observing a correct observation. The majority of Americans have no allegiance to a church. 
They have no faithful church attendance. That percentage is getting smaller and smaller as every generation comes through. We're becoming less and less Christian, but there are those who are becoming more and more in love with the teachings of the Word of God, and that's who I believe I'm looking at tonight, is a room filled with people who are hungry to see God's power displayed even in our chaotic and crazy world. So he says, pay your taxes. Them government workers got to get paid too. Now, there might be a few hundred thousand, too many of them. But pay your taxes. It's the law of the land. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That was like the most begrudging amen you have ever offered. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those that collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Your, Your children ought not hear a curse come out of your mouth towards a government official. We think it way too easy to declare, oh, that person's a, I, I mean, I don't even want to, can I, can I say the word idiot over the pulpit? Is that all right? Uh, we've all done it. I've done it. And it's been wrong every time I've done it. See, there's a level of respect and honor to those who are in authority. Well, that's just Paul. Okay, let's look at Peter. Peter says this, for the Lord's sake. Submit to all human authority. Maybe you you can't do it for your sake, but can you do it for the Lord's sake? Whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Look, they're going to call you hateful, but your life should prove that you're not. They're going to call you rebellious, but your life should prove that you're not. They're going to call you seditious, but your lifestyle should prove that you're not. They're going to call you crazy, but your lifestyle should prove that you are in fact level-headed and grounded on the Word of God. He says, for you are, yet free, you are free, yet you are God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of the believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Anybody ever have a cruel boss? Good, honor them, submit to them. Not, not just the nice ones, even the ones that are kind and reasonable. Don't be raising your hand back there in the media booth, okay? Your boss is in the room. And it ain't me, I'm just, I'm just saying. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. So what if they snatch a tax status? What if they shut us down? What if, what if they begin to, to come and disrupt services? What are we to do? Do we meet violence with violence? Do we meet hatred with hatred? No. We endure patiently, conscious of his will, unjust treatment, 
believing and understanding that our God is the highest authority that has ever been. There is always one higher. There is always one greater. There might be a a, a soon-to-be dictator over all of North America. Whatever scenario you want to play it out, I'm not going to try to pigeonhole us into a certain scenario. But even if that is the case, even when the Antichrist arises, there will be one higher. There will always be one greater. And his name is Jesus. And I can't wait for the day when I get to see him. I will endure on this earth because I know I'm going to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But of course, he says in verse 20, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. Look, if you're, if you're driving recklessly and you're like engaged in street racing and they snatch your license, you're not getting credit from God for dealing with that with a good attitude. Yes, you should have a good attitude, but you're not getting credit. You did the crime. You're going to serve the time. But when you begin to endure and you begin to suffer for doing good, God is going to be pleased with you. When you're striving to obey the law of the land and you're being punished unjustly. Does anybody like being punished unjustly? Anybody ever get disciplined by your parent when you were not the one that did it? Mm. Mm. Isn't that your favorite thing in the world? No, we hate it. But if you'll keep a right attitude and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. There's your greatest example ever, the one who had never done anything wrong, hung on a cross, naked and bleeding in front of this entire world, spit on and mocked. And Peter says, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So that's a quick look at how the disciple of Jesus Christ should interact with the government. But moments will come and moments will arise where the government begins to pass laws and begins to act in ways that are not scriptural. Look, if the government tells us that we can't wear black shirts to church, okay. I'll wear a white shirt to church and a black suit and a black tie and black socks. But, or if, if, if the government begins to tell us, look, you, you can't, I don't know, come up with whatever you want. You can't, uh, you must put up a windmill in your house. You must put solar panels. Look, you're not going to get involved or you ought not get involved in some sort of revolt against the government. I'm going to be unhappy about it, but ultimately I'm going to give in to it. Why? Because my life is more important than who's in the White House. My life is more important than what law is passed. My life is about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is my primary purpose. That is my primary goal is to get this gospel into as many hands and as many hearts as possible. I don't 
want to be reduced to a tax dispute. I don't want to be marginalized because I, I, I decided to push back against this government policy or that government policy. But the day will come where the government begins to issue edicts that say, you, you can't do this, you can't, you can't preach about those topics, you can't speak about this. And so what do we do when the government begins to uh, directly contradict the word of God? In Acts chapter 5, we see the story of Peter and John. Uh, they are now, for the second time, brought in before the Sanhedrin. And in verse 28, reading from, again, the New Living Translation, you, you hear the Sanhedrin, they say, We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Here's your verse. You ready? But Peter... And the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Look, when it comes down to it, Jesus is higher. As long as earthly government does not contradict the word of God and the truth of scripture, then we are bound by that scripture to be in subjection to earthly authority. But the moment a man tries to overrule the word of God, I am no longer bound to be under authority to that man because my allegiance is to one higher. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his word. And so, not in an angry manner, not in a violent manner, not in a hateful manner, but in a manner of reverence towards God, I will obey scripture before I will obey man. Everybody says amen. And you can read throughout the rest of the chapter in Acts chapter 5. Uh, they are incensed. They are furious that their edicts are not being quickly obeyed. And so they're about to kill Peter and John when a, a teacher named Gamaliel steps into the equation and he, he gives some counsel and he says, look, if this be of God and you're fighting against it that hard, you're, you're going to come up against something here. And so in verse 40, it says they accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Really, that verse is such an oxymoron. It says they accepted his advice, and then they flogged him anyways and commanded him not to teach in the name of Jesus. That wasn't really accepting his advice, but they at least backed off of killing him. Verse 41 says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. This is what is going to separate those who are able to adapt uh, in the moments where the church is forced underground and those who are going to wax cold and fall away. Will you be able to rejoice Rejoice when you are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ? Will you be able to rejoice when you're rejected from society and your own family turns against you? Will you be able to rejoice and count it precious that Jesus uh, has deemed you worthy of suffering for his name? Uh, will you be able to rejoice when you're rejected and mocked and spat on for holding to the word of God? And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is 
the Messiah. That's the same Peter who wrote, submit yourselves to governing authorities. But here he is with a direct word from a governing authority not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. You see, when that government steps outside of its God-given role and begins to contradict the word of God, not only should you disobey, you are required as a disciple of Jesus Christ to obey the word of God and not to listen to the law of men. Now, it's wrong for you to cheat on your taxes. I want everybody in every government agency to hear that. Jesus' church does not endorse cheating on your taxes. We do not endorse breaking the law. It is wrong for you to speed. Well, now, do burnouts, shoplift. It's not legal. And we're under authority. We're subjected to God-ordained legal civil authority. But we're subject to a higher law as well. We are not immune from punishment for disobedience to man's law in obedience to God's law. Okay? So, expect... When you push back against man's law in obedience to God's law, expect man to punish you. It's exactly what happens to Peter and John. They stand up. They boldly declare Jesus Christ. They find themselves down on the floor in front of the council, and their robes are torn, and they're flogged. It's going to happen. It's happening all across this globe right now to your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are people every day who are facing persecution. They're facing turmoil. They're facing imprisonment for this same gospel message that you're teaching and preaching. Just because you're standing in obedience to God's law does not mean that we're immune from punishment under man's law, but it does not mean that we succumb to the law of man and neglect the law of God. We must be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. It was about as exciting as pay your taxes. Acts chapter 16. Interesting story. Paul is in Philippi with Silas, and a riot breaks out. And Paul and Silas are beaten. Their backs are bloody and raw. They're placed in the innermost prison. Their feet are in stocks. Horrific conditions. All of us in this room hope to avoid that circumstance. Is there anybody that, like, is by this time tomorrow hoping to have your back bloody, raw, and your feet in stocks? We're not, we're not going to go seeking out persecution, okay? That's on you at that point. But Paul and Silas find themselves in a, a Philippian prison. We're very familiar with the passage of Scripture. And at midnight, they began to pray and to sing praises unto God. And all the prisoners heard. And God sends an earthquake. He breaks open the jail. And 
Paul and Silas, they stop the, 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 the jailer from committing suicide. They preach unto him Jesus. He and all of his house believe. They're baptized. He washes their wounds. And then the morning comes and the jailer uh, receives word from the sergeants of the city that Paul and Silas can go their way. But look at what Paul says in verse 37. They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Doesn't this seem like an appropriate thing to mention before the beating and imprisonment? I mean, about the time that they're starting to haul off on my back with a cane, I might be like, dude, I'm a Roman citizen. And yet, Paul took it. And he took the imprisonment. And he took the abuse until at midnight, when he began to praise God willingly and God intervened on his behalf. Do not confuse your earthly right with your kingdom responsibility. Do not think that just because you have a right to free speech or this right or that right, that, that you may not have some kingdom responsibilities that supersede that. Paul and Silas had an appointment with a Philippian jailer that only stocks and stripes were going to put into motion. If Paul had protested and said, hey, this is not being done legally, he would have missed out on a Philippian jailer being converted and his entire household converted. Paul did not contend for his rights as a Roman citizen over his responsibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me, we are citizens of a higher country with a higher calling than seeing our First Amendment rights protected. Now don't get me wrong, or I'll go even further and we'll really mess with it, then our Second Amendment rights being protected. Uh, we have a responsibility first to the kingdom of God uh, and to his call and his will for us. God allowed it to happen, but he empowered them through it to bring glory to his name. Stripes on my back and stocks on my ankles can bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ if I'm patiently enduring unjust treatment. Some good studies for you. I'm going to close here right quick. If you're interested in kind of getting a, a biblical pulse of what to do, Daniel, the whole book, would be a fantastic study. A young man that was ripped from his homeland and indoctrinated in all the wisdom of the Chaldees. It's likely he never saw his parents again. Esther is a young woman that had to hide her heritage and what she really believed. There is no mention of her willingness in the bride selection process. Those that were not selected as queen went into the harem only to be brought before the king if he asked for her by name. Talk about rights being violated. 
Jeremiah was the prophet of God as the enemy is closing in. He's faithful, but he suffers for his faithfulness to the word of God. Nobody wants to hear what Jeremiah's preaching, which is surrender. Nebuchadnezzar is the agent of God. Surrender. When the city is finally captured and Jeremiah is removed from the dungeon, he's given preferential treatment by the enemy of his people. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? They're like, here, let's get Jeremiah out of the dungeon, and buddy, the king told me to take you wherever you want to go because they've heard that you've been telling everybody else to surrender. Ezekiel's a captive in a foreign land. He's the one that foresees the fall of Jerusalem. He's forewarned of his wife's death. He's not allowed by God to mourn his wife. You could look at Ezra. You could look at Nehemiah. See how it looks to live for God when when society resists it, when it becomes illegal. Daniel was likely 17 or younger when he was taken into captivity. 17 years old or younger. He stands up for righteousness as a teenager in a very intense indoctrination process. He could literally have been killed at a moment's notice for standing for righteousness. But it's a lifelong thing with Daniel. We kind of lose perspective on time in some of the books of the Bible. Daniel is probably close to 80 years old when the lion's den incident happens. He's lived his, he has survived the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian Empire, and then finally the Persian Empire. How does he do that? Three different empires as a Jew by following God. And he's lived his life this way. He prayed before it was illegal to pray. If you're waiting until it becomes illegal to preach, when it becomes illegal to preach, you're not going to preach. It's just not going to happen. If you're waiting until it becomes illegal to come to church faithfully, when it becomes illegal to come to church, it's just not going to happen. Whatever state you find yourself in is where you're going to be. If you're hot now, you'll be hot then. If you're cold now, you'll be cold then. But listen to a couple of verses, and we're going to close here, and we're going to be done. Everybody doing all right? Is this too depressing and dark for a Wednesday night? Okay. It's a little bit of a look ahead. I hope it's, I hope it's not too dark. But we can finish on a, on a high note. Why don't we, let's just stand together. That'll give you some hope. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He has forgotten the dream. <laughs> and uh, he is demanding that his magicians tell him what he dreamed and what it meant. And... Of course, they're not able to do this, and so they're, they're like slaughtering all of them. And Daniel hears about this, and he, he gains a little bit of time, and they seek the, the mind of God. 
and God reveals it to him. And he sees the, the image with the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the, the stomach of brass, the thighs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. And he, he sees all of this. And here's what he says in verse 44. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. There is a rock that is cut without hands, and that rock is Jesus Christ. Every kingdom of this world is going to be smitten by that rock. Uh, that statue is going to come down. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's the, the rush and bear the American eagle or the Chinese dragon or some empire that is yet to rise that we are not aware of. Uh, at the end of it all, the rock is going to come rolling down the side of the mountain. It is going to smite the image uh, and every law of man is going to be done away with and that mountain is going to fill the entire earth. And Daniel said the dream is true and its meaning is certain. Look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27. I'm about to get excited here. You might as well get excited with me. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Did you hear that? All of the power, all of the sovereignty, all of the greatness of every kingdom under heaven is going to be given to the people of the Most High. That's you and that's me if we continue walking with Jesus Christ. Uh, and when Jesus sets up his kingdom, his kingdom will last forever. And every ruler on this earth will serve and obey Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall I'll be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I read from Revelation 19 and 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth at the end of it all as John is watching time come to an end there's a great multitude like a mighty roaring waterfall and they're simply declaring the Lord reigneth we read one more time Psalm 97 and verse 1 the Lord reigneth let the earth rejoice everything crazy is going 
going on in our world. Uh, we're marching closer and closer to the end time. Uh, the Antichrist will rise. Uh, the Antichrist spirit is already active uh, and fighting like never before in this world. Uh, but hear me, be uh, of good cheer uh, because there's a rock that was cut without hands uh, that is going to smite uh, every kingdom of man, uh, every kingdom of this world. Uh, and Jesus will be on the throne uh, and Jesus will reign uh, for all of eternity. Uh, oh, I wish somebody would get excited about that tonight. Uh, I wish somebody would get it settled in their heart. Uh, it does not matter what man does to me. Uh, it does not matter what law man passes. Uh, God's word is forever settled in heaven. Uh, it is yea and it is amen. Uh, and my Jesus is going to be on the throne uh, at the end of it all. Uh, why don't we lift our hands and begin to rejoice in this house right now. Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, I will not fear uh, what man can